The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. I brought a prop this morning. I am not a, um, an avid fisherman, but this rod my wife bought for me a couple years ago, and it's got a, uh, a chatterbait on it. My nephews put me onto this, and chatterbait is good for fresh water. In fact, I was at my brother-in-law's house in Missouri. We live up in Kansas City, and he's in the town of Raymore. And so I, I threw this in his pond one evening around sunset. Well, I guess we're tangled there. And uh, this chatterbait, within about 10 minutes, I had a really nice bass. And I'm thinking about it. Well, you know, if you're out fishing, no fish in the pond is thinking, okay, today I just can't wait for a hook to go through my lip with the potential of being thrown on a pan. I'll be filleted and eaten. That sounds like a great day. Fish, I don't know how fish reason, but I know they don't reason like that. What fish would throw itself onto a hook and end up in a frying pan? No fish would voluntarily do that. So how does bait work or how do lures work? Well, they entice. In fact, I've entitled the message today, The Subtle Enticement of the Serpent of Eden. The Subtle Enticement of the Serpent of Eden. You know, you have been given a lot in the way of doctrine, in the way of teaching, in the way of challenge. In fact, the last week, you, you got shovels full truckloads full in Bible conference. The scripture tells us to whom much is given, much is required. Over the years, I've had interaction with a number of pastors in the area, and I remember talking to them, so, hey, have you had any of our, our students or grads work in your church? Oh, yeah, yeah, been a blessing. And I remember once in a while, I'd try to probe and peel back the layers a little and say, uh, hey, you know, we all know the good stories. Everybody likes to talk about how, oh, yeah, so-and-so, he did an internship here, and, and we like the good stuff, how that turned out. But sometimes I'll probe and say, hey, you got any stories on the other end of the spectrum? And sadly, there are some. And I heard too many stories of people that came through campus and heard what you heard and then end up not in church anymore, not walking with God. And usually you ask them, well, how did, how'd that happen? You know, some of them were ministerial students, the preacher boys. How, how did that happen? Well, it's not like they denounced the faith. It's not like they went off into, you know, drugs. And often what happens, you hear things like this. Well, man, this guy, man, he was really promising. But he ended up falling in love with this girl. And, you know, she was, she was an attractive girl. She was seemingly a nice girl, but she really didn't have heart for ministry. So they, they got married. And then she announces, well, I don't want to go in the ministry. That's too much pressure. There's no money in that. And the next thing you know, they're not in ministry, which is what he trained for. And now the pressure's on the marriage, and the next thing you know, the marriage falls apart, and now they're not even in church anywhere. How does that happen, that kind of stuff? Now, thankfully, that's an exception. That's not the rule. But I want to tell you, it can happen to anybody. The Scripture says, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. My desire for all of you, for all the churches where I preach, is that people would have a steadfast walk with God, a fruitful walk with God. But I want to tell you, there is an enemy of your soul. The scripture says of Satan, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. There is an agenda to take you down, to destroy you. God doesn't want that for you. That doesn't have to be the case. 
but the scripture tells us we're not ignorant of his devices. So I want to go to Genesis 3 with you, Genesis chapter 3. I was driving back from Floral City a week ago, Floral City New Testament Baptist Church. I was preaching for my friend Ledford Hodges. And as I'm driving my rig back, I have a 43-foot fifth wheel, and I pull it with a Freightliner truck, and my wife follows in a van, so our girls have something to get around town in. So it's just me, and I'm listening to a podcast from Charlie Kirk. I don't know if any of you follow Charlie Kirk, Turning Point USA, and Charlie's really up on what's happening on college campuses, and, and it's got a really good handle on a biblical worldview. The session I was listening to just happened to be uh, the importance of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And Charlie was saying something that my dad would tell me. My dad was a campus church member for 20 years, worked at Home Depot just up the street here. And my dad used to tell me something, Rich, listen, if you're going to make sense of life, you've got to get a handle of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. It is foundational to life. And that's exactly what Charlie Kirk was talking about last week. And so I'm listening to that. I'd already been leaning toward preaching on this topic in chapel, and that's the Lord impressed upon me. Yeah, this is the direction I want you to go. So Genesis 3, let me look at uh, verses 1 to 8 with you. Would you follow along there? I know you've been to Bible conference. I know you're thinking like, another message. This this is going to be right where you're living. So if you would, engage with me. Genesis 3, follow along, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, yea, hath God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. The serpent said to the woman, ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. The eyes of them both were open. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, made themselves aprons. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. All right, I'm going to break this down into three areas this morning. We're going to start with the scheme of enticement. S-C-H-E-M-E, scheme of enticement. I've been in Kansas City for 30 years, spent more time now there in Kansas City as home than I did in New Jersey where I grew up. And uh, I remember our pastor had told a story years ago. He'd been a Kansas City policeman before he was saved. And he said his wife one day um, had a washer, dryer, repairman come to the house, and their marriage was on the rocks. They were not Christians at the time. They were going to go through a divorce. They were in the proceedings of it. And so the washer dryer repairman came and he's got the, the dryer taken apart and he's looking at things. She said, how do you know how to repair that? He said, well, I got this manual and he said, I got this schematic that I follow. She said, what's a schematic? Well, it tells you how everything's wired and I can figure out the problems. And in exasperation, she said, oh, I wish there were a schematic, a manual to tell you, tell you how to fix broken marriages. He said, well, actually there is. And he pulled a Bible out of his toolbox and he went through the plan of salvation with her. And she trusted Christ that day. Later, our pastor, who then was a Kansas City policeman, would follow the Lord and trust Christ as Savior. He became a pastor. But a schematic is a scheme or a program of action. Let me tell you, there is a schematic for putting your life together. There's also a scheme to ruin your life. I want you to see the schematic here, the scheme of enticement. Um, Now, Satan is tempting Eve here. I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm putting a marker there. We're going to come back. 
I need to compare some important scripture. Jump over to 1 John chapter 2 with me. 1 John chapter 2. The scheme of enticement is 1 John 2, 15 to 17. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. I don't know how many messages that I preach. I'll go to this passage of scripture. It's so critical and so important. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now the word world there, cosmos, it's the term from which we get cosmopolitan, which has to do with city life, um, cosmetics. Okay, girls, you know cosmetics. Uh, other foundation can no man lay. No, that's not what it means. But anyway, cosmetics is orderly arrangement of your face. Okay, so cosmos has to do with an orderly arrangement. Theologically, it's society separated from God by sin. Society separated from God by sin. God says, do not love the world. What is it that motivates the world? And you guys are you're seeing it more evident than we've ever seen it before. What drives this world is lust of flesh, lust of eyes, and pride of life. This is the scheme of enticement. I want to give you a simple definition for all these. This is not just academic. I see this every day in the battles in my own life, and you're going to see it too. I'd encourage you, if you're a person who takes notes, write it down. If you're not a person who takes notes, write it down. Scheme of enticement. Here it is. Lust of the flesh, first of all is sensualism, sensualism. It's a desire to enjoy something, a desire to enjoy something. The whole idea of uh, pleasures, pleasures would be a good summary word. Lust is a strong desire. We usually think of sexual lust, but there can be other lusts too. Lust for gold, lust for recognition, lust for liberation. Lust is a strong desire, it's a consuming desire. Well, God warns against the lust of the flesh, desire to enjoy something. Why do people get hooked on drugs? They want to enjoy the high. What do people get involved in sex outside of the bounds that God created for it? It's the desire to enjoy something. That's the bait. That's what Satan will use to entice. Then there's lust of the eyes. Lust of the eyes. Lust of the eyes is a desire to have something. Have something. So I call that materialism. Materialism. In fact, a good uh, simple word for it is possessions. Okay, it's the whole idea. You've got to have stuff. The whole advertising community is based on this. I, I like golf, and one time I was looking through a magazine, and there was a tailor-made driver pictured in there. It was a five-page overlay. And my daughter, Brianna, was in graphic design here in the school, graduating at 18. And I said to her, Brianna, look at this ad. I mean, that thing, high glossy, you know, wow. That had to cost a lot. She said, well, Dad, think about it. That driver cost $300 at the time. She said, uh, you know, they don't mind spending some bucks on that because you look at it and think, oh, wow, I got to get that. I need to have that. That's the whole idea of eye appeal. It's, it's not the sexual appeal. This one is the I got to have it. It's the desire to acquire. So possessions. Then there's one more, and it's the pride of life. The pride of life. Uh, okay, Steve, you can figure out. I like your interaction here. If, if lust of flesh is a desire to enjoy something, if lust of eyes is a desire to have something, can you figure then pride of life would be a desire to be something? Yeah, some of you are tracking. Desire to be something. And you could use the word prestige, you could use the word position or prominence. Any of those P's would work here. You pick which one you can spell, all right? So prestige, prominence, position, it's, it's um, egotism, me first. Egotism. So let me tell you something. Anytime you're tempted 
It's in one of those three areas. You remember how the scripture says Jesus was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin? That's in Hebrews. Some people say, and they mean well, but they say, well, Jesus was tempted with any sin that you'll ever be tempted with. Now, is that true? Well, it says he was tempted in all points. Look, was Jesus tempted to watch MTV when his parents weren't home? They didn't have television, okay? There was no MTV back then. Was Jesus tempted to tap into some site on TikTok? There was no TikTok, okay? What does it mean Jesus was tempted in all points? If you understand the concept here, lust of flesh, lust of eyes, pride of life, those three, that's a triumvirate, that's the combination of motives behind any sin you'll ever commit. It's either one of or a combination of those three that's behind any sin you'll ever be enticed to. So let me go to number two, and that is the subjects of enticement, and let's go back to the garden, Genesis 3, all right? So go back there, and Charlie Kirk was right, man, you're going to understand life, you've got to understand Genesis so we're in Genesis chapter 3. What you and I read earlier is the fall of man. This is, the, this is where man fell into sin. And so who are the subjects? The subject is one who is uh, the focus of investigation or it's a person who's acted upon, like the subject of investigation or the subject of a study. Okay, these subjects of, investiga- of uh, enticement here start with A, Eve. Okay, she was the first one he went after. Look at verse 1 again. Serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. It's not obvious. You know, Satan doesn't come to your front door, knocking on the door, red suit, horns, pitchfork, breathing fire. Hey, want to go out and get drunk tonight? He'd slam the door in his face. That's the devil. I'm not listening to him. I don't think we would know who Satan was if we were to see him. The Bible says he comes as an angel of light. Same with his ministers, angels of light. They, they give the appearance of being acceptable. Okay, he's subtle. And notice what he says, and I I jotted down, Satan's plan involved a basic three-step process. Satan's plan involved a basic three-step process. Notice he says, hath God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So what is the process? He questions God. Hath God said. Then she says, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. In fact, you go back to Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. He said they could eat freely of all the trees of the garden, but there's just one tree not to eat of. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why did he say that? They didn't need to know about evil. There was no evil in their world. They were innocent. Evil was something that had originated with Satan. They didn't need to know about evil. But Satan says this in, uh, oh, by the way, Eve says, but of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Some people jump on Eve and say, oh, she added to the scripture. I said, you're not to touch it. Was, was Eve the first textual critic? No. <laughs> No, I think Eve was just taught by Adam, listen, honey, God told us not to eat that fruit, so look, don't touch it, because you know, you can't eat it if you don't touch it. So I don't think she's deliberately adding to what God says, but she says, no, we're we're not even going to touch that. Well, then what does he say? Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Okay, here's the second step in his process. He not only questions God, but number two, he contradicts God. God said in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, you eat that fruit, you'll surely die. What does he say to her? You'll not surely die. Somebody's lying here. Anybody want to take a guess on who's lying? I'll give you a hint. It's not God. So he says, oh, you're not going to die. And then notice verse 5. He says, for God doth know that of the day that you eat there, then your eyes shall be open. You shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Who insinuates that there's multiple gods? Satan does. 
Interesting. The first suggestion of multiple gods did not come from heaven. It came from the one who was kicked out of heaven. It came from Satan. And what's he insinuating here? Number three, he discredits God. He discredits God. He says, Eve, listen, honey, God's holding out on you, dear. If you eat that fruit, you'll be wise like God, knowing good and evil. You'll be enlightened. We live in a society where men are not simply being told they can be like God. They're being told they can become God. I wish I had time to go into it with you. I don't right now, but that's Satan's tactic. So Eve, oh, notice this. The plan not only involved a basic three-step process, the plan involved a baited three-pronged hook. A lot of times a lure will have three hooks on it. Not that they expect you to catch three fish at a time. It just increases your chance of catching the one fish. It's a baited three-pronged hook. Look at that, verse 6. When the woman saw the tree was good for food, that's lust of the flesh. Pleasant to the eyes, that's lust of the eyes. Desire to make one wise, that's the pride of life. I could be like God, knowing good and evil. She took the fruit. So that's Satan's plan. He started with Eve. Until that point, no human had ever sinned. There were only two of them. And that's where sin entered the world. Hey, by the way, there'd only be one other human who was sinless historically, and that was Jesus Christ. Let's go to Luke chapter 4. We'll see somebody else here enticed. Luke chapter 4, subjects of enticement. Letter B is Christ. The second one enticed is Jesus. Luke chapter 4, Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost. I'm in verse 1. Returned from Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. The devil said to him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Jesus answering, uh, answered, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Interesting. So what's the first temptation? Notice he was filled with the Spirit, but he was tempted. It's one of the reasons I went with this right now. You've just come off a time of Bible conference. We're singing a song a minute ago, Revive Us Again. You might think, man, my heart is tender toward God. I've heard so much preaching lately. I really have a heart for God. Jesus was filled with the Spirit of God, and he was tempted. There's no exemption from you being tempted right now. In fact, I'd suggest Satan will try harder than ever right now to ensnare you. So he's tempted. What was the first temptation? Turn the stones into bread. Is there a, ver a verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt not turn stones into bread? Does there need to be? Have you ever known somebody that could turn stones to bread? I've known a few women that could turn bread to stones. Uh, probably a few men, to be truthful, if they were cooking. But, but I've never known anybody could turn bread to stones to bread. Jesus could have done that. But he didn't perform miracles for his own benefit. He performed miracles to prove that he was God and to benefit others. Okay, so he says, no, I'm not going to do that. And he quotes from Deuteronomy. Uh, and then notice this. You pick up in verse 5. And the temptation continues. Devil taking him to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, All this power will I give thee, the glory of them, for that's delivered to me. To whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Jesus answered and said to him, Get thee behind me, Satan. It's written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, him only shalt thou serve. Okay, the first temptation turned the stones to bread. That's lust of the flesh. The second one named here is lust of the eyes. You can have it now. For millennia, the world had suffered under the dominion of Satan. And it's like Satan is saying, hey, here are the keys right here. Cut you a deal. You just bow down and worship me right now, and I'll turn over the keys. But look, he couldn't be ruler over men before he first became redeemer of men. There's no cutting corners. And so as tempting as that had to be, no deal. He says, no, you're to worship the Lord your God. So then what's the final temptation? 
Well, look at uh, verse 9. He brought him to Jerusalem, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, said to him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. It's written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus answering said to him, It's said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Notice he'll be back. What was the final temptation? Pride of life. If you're really the Son of God, jump off this temple this temple mount, you'll be fine. No, no, you're not to tempt the Lord your God. Let me finish in uh, Psalm 119. I, I'll give you this for your notes. Subjects of enticement are not only Eve and Christ, but letter C would have been us. And I was going to give you 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 to 13. I don't have time to go into it. But how do you think Satan's going to tempt you? Well, let's see. He had a strategy for a perfect woman. That worked. He had a strategy for the God-man. That didn't work, but it wasn't because of a lack of trying. What strategy do you think he might try with you? Lust of flesh, lust of eyes, pride of life. How do you overcome that? We finish in Psalm 119, verses 9 to 11. I hope you're familiar with these. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Okay, two keys to overcoming temptation. First of all, use Scripture as ammunition. Use Scripture as ammunition. Verse 9, how does a young person cleanse his life? Taking heed to God's Word. Verse 11, thy word have I hid where? In my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's why memorizing Scripture is so important. I, I mentioned it last night in the message. To abide in Christ, you've got to meditate on His Word. To meditate, you need to get the Word in your mind. You've got to think about it and mull it over. Meditate on it. Okay, use Scripture as ammunition. But let me give you an illustration. We were on... Um, Christian service, last maybe my freshman or sophomore year here, and we were down at Seville Square, Seville Quarter. That's not where you find t- PCC students hanging out much, okay? That's kind of the bar district of Pensacola. Why were we down there? It was, we were doing outreach. We're giving out tracts and witnessing to people. And I remember I gave this tract to a guy. He's like, hey, what's this? And he was already drunk. And it was kind of early. Caught me by surprise. He said, I said, well, it's a gospel message. He said, oh, that's great. And I said... I started to witness to him, all of sin, and he started quoting every verse I quoted. And I finally said, listen, sir, the Scripture says wine is, I know what, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. This guy had learned the Scripture. He might have gone to Awana when he was a kid. But it didn't impact his life. Why? Because you not only use Scripture as ammunition, B, you use love as motivation. Notice verse 10, with my whole what? Heart, have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. For most of you, it's not a lack of knowing what God says. It's got to be a determination of love for God that you're going to stand up against lust of flesh and lust of eyes and pride of life. I, I plead with you to get the Scripture embedded in your heart and mind and graft the Word of God, which is able to save your souls. Use Scripture as ammunition. Use love as motivation. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.